There is a gnome. He's got a stylish haircut and a neat beard trim, and he's wearing very fancy clothes. But his shirt is plastered to his chest with sweat, and his hair and beard are likewise soaked. He's breathing heavily, and he's looking very, very frantic. Uh, glancing about fitfully, he's standing near the bananas in this dwarven bodega on the corner of Fish Street and Washwoman. He looks at the one door, and there she is. She's got her hand, and she's going to take that whip off of her hip again. Uh, so he looks the other way and goes running for the back door pushes aside the worker who drops a crate of oranges and dashes for the back door. And when he gets to the back door, it is full of Shakir. He skids to a stop, turns around and Delilah goes into the back room. This, of course, is Lefty. He's a notorious pimp and contact of Desparts. Lefty, you're not going to get anywhere. It's easier to answer my questions. Listen, I'm telling you, Desperate will fucking kill me. <laughs> Jesus, I gotta quit smoking. Oh, Jesus. Listen, Delilah, I don't know where he is. I can't tell you. But I can tell you, it was Grenick. It was Grenick that hired her. Go find Grenick. If he doesn't get me to Despard, you're going to wish Despard had killed you, Lefty. Listen, I don't want any trouble, Delilah. I didn't touch her. I didn't know anything about her. Oh, my God, my place. You know how much that's going to cost me to fix? Call off your goon here. Uh, that particular phrasing cracks Delilah up. It's it's actually a little bit chilling that the thought that Shakira's her goon is so, so hilarious to her. Yeah, Shakir, she she's really cracking up at that. Also, goon... Yeah, Shakir will kind of raise an eyebrow at that. Not going to say anything. Just really. Honestly, big guy, whoever you are, I got some work for a guy like you. It's no problem, but like you got to, jeez, just, just let me go, would you? I'm telling you, Grenick, Grenick, he's, he's easy pickings. You know his place over on Copper Penny Road. Shakir will just kind of glance up at Delilah, just waiting for her to give one signal or another. She motions out the door with her head. Come on. Let's go kill Granny. Welcome to Runelanders, the world's greatest curated 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, a retro-futuristic fantasy epic. We've got a style and a sound all our own. But before we get too much further into it, I think now is a good time to mention that it's no coincidence that our logo is a big red R. So, understand that this show contains adult content in the form of darker themes, sexual content, references to drug use, and constant coarse language. Now, we don't beat these topics over the head, but we don't shy away from them when they come up either. We use a fairly robust set of safety tools when recording these adventures. This is yours. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing is your bag, well then, sit back, kick back, chill out, and relax. And as you prepare to lend an air, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. 
thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climbed to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. Start wearing purple, wearing purple. Start wearing purple for me now. All your sanity and wits, they will all vanish. I promise. Join the scene on the south lawn of the Violet Villa where Count Crimson is hearing the final marching orders of his commanders as they take three quarters of the main force out of the Violet Villa to attack the Blue Baron. Once the general has finished his briefing, the Count dismisses him, watches him run across the lawn to meet the retreating column of the Crimson Army, so that those who remain are wearing new coats of a reddish purple in the spirit of the possible union between Crimson and Violet and have come to be known as the Magenta Militia. Presently, the Count turns around, walks back into the house, and when he turns to close the door behind him, the camera cuts inside to see Nari turning from the doors and straightening his tie. It's almost time for your own visit off to Castle Umber. Nari, everything is almost ready. I'll finish putting myself together, double check everything. Uh, then I'll uh, get out, uh, walk out the door and uh, start uh, gesturing and uh, even maybe shouting at the appropriate staff. The Violet Autumn Warlock. Steps out into the house and begins barking orders. The staff snaps to directly. He walks down a hall and hangs a right. This is the newly appointed yet long-standing and venerable embalming chamber where the Violet Vicomtesse Jr. has all of the tools she could ever want. However, it is not presently occupied by the Vicomtesse Jr. Is it, Arabex? Indeed, it is not. What the hell are you doing in the embalming room? Is that a book on taxidermy? Yeah, too bad I can't fucking read it. Nari, you'd think this would be so much simpler. Sorry, having uh, having troubles there? Yes, well, you know, I've got the rack off, but I don't know how to mount it. Her camera shifts to a high oblique angle from the far corner of the room, and on one of the slabs is displayed a magnificent rack of crimson antlers. Recently taken by Arabet in a hunt. And Arabet is busy mopping his hands with rags and towels. There was an awful lot of blood, too. Well, and I'll uh, take a handkerchief out and uh, sort of like uh, use it to shift things around and look at things from different angles. He's done a pretty good job of what the book says to do so far, but uh, clearly he's been deducing it from the pictures, right? This is, He's missing some key details. I'll use the handkerchief again and sort of, uh, if the pages are clean, then I'll flick them with my finger, but uh, look through the book and see if I can like shuffle through the notes and see what's uh, what's missing there. 
Ah, that makes sense now. There's a ritual on this page. A scroll, if you will. You could probably read it right off. It's a gentle repose ritual. Keeps things fresh for a certain amount of time. Which is exactly what's needed because you're supposed to leave for Castle Umber this morning. There really isn't time to be futzing around with taxidermy. I'll look around. I'm sure there's the materials needed for the the ritual here at at hand. Well stocked indeed. Yeah, see if uh, Arabet, if you could, uh, if you could perhaps just uh, quickly assist me. I think it'll make this uh, the rest of this task go that much faster before we we get moving. You'll you'll need the extra time, I think, to get cleaned up. Yes, definitely. If this was a bloody mess, let me tell you. So, you arrange a few things, um, light a candle when Nari asks you to, put it where he asks you to, and then finally, with an drawing an elder sign in the air with his fingers, his voice takes on the timbre of somebody who is simultaneously intoning three notes. It is an odd sound, but when it's done, there's a gush of rain on the antlers, which washes all the blood away, followed by a sudden frost, which rhymes all along the antlers thickly and sits frozen when he's finished. Magic. Of course there was magic. There'd always be magic in taxidermy, wouldn't it? Done correctly. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Calder? Yes, sir. The baggage is done. The train is prepared. The servants have begun to leave. It's time to collect herself and your traveling companions and uh, think about leaving. You're on your way. It's been... Well, if she doesn't want to be found, then you can search the house high and low and no door will open on her. However, if she's waiting for you... You can get there in an instant. It's how the servants do it. Ah. Um, and is she waiting for me? This is a scheduled uh, appointment, yes? Hey, Ziva. Everybody's been packing everything up, and there's been a lot of people fussing on you, and you're just sitting with some really delicious coffee on a completely silent patio with the doors closed and a great big hawk standing on the other side of the glass keeping anybody from making any noise while you enjoy your coffee in silence and solid. Sooner or later, Calder will be by to pick you up. But for now, you have quiet, you have coffee, you have time to think. I think she's been going through her bag, all of the stuff that she brought with her and trying to find objects, like separating out things that she could trade and taking some notes and that sort of thing. And uh, sure enough, the door opens and uh, Admits him. Calder, which particular shape are you wearing right now? It doesn't look exactly like Calder Revolt, but it, it certainly is reminiscent of it. Well, it's more like you, you've got a hair helmet now and your beard is sculpted, right? It's, uh, the frame doesn't differentiate well enough to do hair believably. Like Lego hair. Um, Calder 
I'm just happy you're alive. Well, thank you. I can assure you that uh, my ongoing existence is a matter of uh, quite some rejoicing for myself as well. And uh, as to the four, it is taking some getting used to, but I have to say it's more fascinating than anything else so far. It is pretty amazing. Like, anyway, what are we doing now? Well, I'm here to collect you. Are you? Are you ready? It's ready as I'll ever be. Son of a bitch, Ziva! That's not a jacket. He's not wearing a jacket. It looks like a tinfoil jacket he's wearing, but no. But nope. That's that's part of him. Look at that. So is the white shirt underneath. That's impressive. That's still the mechanism. So amazing. Can I touch you? I just... It, the mechanism is so neat. Uh, uh, certainly. Then I'll, I'll lean in closer. Adam, can I, uh, can I um, add a little rose to my lapel? Yep. <gasps> a, rose, a rose blooms out of the foil on his lapel. So cool! What? Look at that! I didn't even quite mean to do that, but there it is. That is amazing. You are so amazing. Well, I thank you, but I I believe we uh, owe quite a debt to uh, some red caps. Yes. Oh yeah. We really do. How are we going to repay them anyway? I I am under the impression that it will not be difficult at all for them to inform us as to how we will, shall repay them. Okay, that's true. So, I've been going through all my stuff and all of my ideas and I've been like trying to come up with things. Different, I don't know. I have a few things that I think maybe we could trade. Or some I don't know this happens as you walk down the hall and uh, reach once again the balcony at the top of the main staircase in the front foyer she pauses a minute to make sure that her hair is okay and as she does that her hair fixes itself oh, this is so cool you look absolutely impeccable my darling Oh, thank you. In, indeed she does. It's that purple silk shirt and traveling gear with the high, deep violet boots. Everything has a tinge of violet to it, even the black and the white, right? Like everything, the white's an extremely pale lavender. The black is an extremely deep violet, you know? Everything here is various shade purple or white. Love this place. There is indeed a a miracle around every corner here. But I do long to return home. The current giant portrait in the foyer, you know, the one that sits between the 20 foot tall walls and is 14 feet tall because it has to fit between the six foot hearth and ceiling, is of herself and her boo standing there. You know, placidly with expressionless faces, 
staring at the painter holding hands in front of the very hearth that the painting now hangs above. And you can just see, like, above their heads, the bottom edge of that same painting. It's kind of a meta thing. Now that you look at it, the exquisitely painted ceiling, it's intricately done. It appears to be a whole map of Bailey Mina in Paisley. Is this, um, sorry, is this like, um, it's obvious or once you look at it for a minute, if you just catch the right decal, then all of a sudden you can see the map emerge from the pattern of Paisley. Yes. I'm sorry. I wasn't clear on that. That's the last bit is exactly what I was intending. Got it. Okay. So as we walk, I'm going to stop and pause for a second. Just look past you, Ziva, and just stand not looking at you for a moment. What is it? And I'll follow his gaze up to the ceiling. I tilt my head a little bit and without meaning to, I zoom in <laughs> and I say, Ziva, look at this. Is this a. I think that's Copperpenny Road there. And there's McStone Avenue. By the route. Oh, yeah. I think this is a map of Billy Mina. Now that he points it out, Ziva, it, you, you can't believe you missed it. It's all over the dome of the ceiling here in the main foyer. Wait, oh my, wait. What? Hey, that is a map. What? Okay. I, I wonder. I, I, I take a step closer uh, and closer. I'll actually, um, sorry, uh, Adam, is this at head height? Or is it uh, like up on the up in the ceiling? Oh, it it's up on the ceiling. It's painted on the ceiling. You had to be a, a bit back and uh, catch it at the right angle to notice it. But uh, Nari Arabet's gone to take care of some business with uh, you know just some something he was working on and uh, left you to it. So after the preservation is finished on those antlers, Arabet goes to wash his hands and grab his pack and bomb up and get ready to go on the trip. And you make your way out into the front foyer where you can see the sculpted form of Calder standing there next to the immaculately put together form of Ziva. And they're both staring up at the ceiling. I will wander over towards them uh, as quietly as I can and sort of like sidle up behind them and then look up at what what they're looking. What's your passive perception? 11. Then I'm going to need you to make a perception roll. That would be a eight. The whole ceiling is done in like various paisleys. They're big, blocky sort of constructions, and they're all muddled, and they get on top of each other. Hey, caller. Yes? This is a three-dimensional map. It's Bailey Mina as seen from above. Oh, really? You noticed this when a flock of birds flew across your field of vision. Oh, is this like full-on Hogwarts? Three-dimensional looking, like if you're looking from the floor, it's like you're looking completely down on top of Bailey Mina. And uh, there, it's evidently live because the bird, a flock of birds just flew across the Pentacle Plaza. Or maybe that's just the touch the artist put in there, but there's movement everywhere now that you look deeper. I uh, 
I want to get closer. So I'm looking around for, uh, I don't know, a chair or something. And I turn around and I see Nari. Oh, by the by the runes, man, don't sneak up on us like that. What? Oh, Nari! Were you trying to put something down the back of my shirt again? I was just wondering what you guys were, uh, what you guys were looking at up there. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, take a close look. Uh, it, in the pattern, you look just, uh, no, take a step back. Yeah, okay. Now, look carefully right there. That is Copperpenny Road. There's Thrasher's down here. We have McStone Avenue. This is, this is a map of Bailey Mina. I, I think it, might be showing us what's there right now or at some point. The closer I look at it, the more detail I see and I I believe I see things moving there. Now that he points these things out, you can roll with advantage. Alright, that's an 18. Oh, shit! He's right! One of those things you kind of gotta unfocus your eyes and let your peripheral see? Ah, that's surprising. I wonder. Should we should we take a closer look? Yeah. I think I have a spell for this. So I'm gonna think about our schedule, uh, the itinerary for the day. Can can we afford a few minutes of uh of research here? Oh sure. You just as long as you get up to Sunset Valley this evening. Or oh, beautiful. actually when you get there, you know, you just, you have to travel up into the Sunset Valley and uh, accept the hospitality and be entertained by Lady Umber for however long it takes to get the better of her. Well, this will, uh, this should only last 10 minutes anyways. Uh, who, who would like to join me? Oh, oh, yes. oh you're going to cast? Okay. I mean, I was just going to spider climb up. But if you can fly us, then that'd be great. Well, okay then. Ziva and I will ascend. I'm growing wings. You can do whatever you want to do. He says, and as he finishes, all of the color falls out of every part of his eyes. They get big, like very big. He had half-elvish big eyes before, like, you know, those handsome ones that, you know, drive the girls nuts. But uh, these these are big. These are headlight-sized. His face gets more oval, and his chin narrows significantly. All of his facial hair has retreated. And when he stands up, two sets of, like, two sets of wings, like a dragonfly, spread out from his scapula. He shakes out his long white hair and sets his wings to humming. What are you doing, Ziva? I think she would watch this happening and she would shake her shoulders, roll them a little bit, and the inky purple black magic starts to grow there and these big sort of bat shaped wings appear on her back and she bends down and jumps uh, up in the air after Nari and 
uh, gives them a big flap. And there's a big leathery sound as they move. Nari takes off with a hum, and you just blast all the air downward to launch yourself towards the ceiling. Calder. Yeah. Um, so, like, how high up is this? The, the lowest part? 20 feet. If you got up to the foyer balcony, you could make it in a jump. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll watch uh, Nari and Ziva with uh, some professional curiosity. I'm particularly interested in uh, Nari's casting. But, uh, you know, as, as they're uh, making their way up by wing, I'm going to walk up to the, to the mezzanine there. Uh, and then when I get there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, stand on the railing and put my hand on the wall. And then I'm just going to get taller, quite a bit taller until I could just reach over there. Makes my legs pretty thin, but it's all right. Well, yeah, I mean, like the the mechanism's got to thin out and and reconfigure, and pretty soon you've got like these long, skinny legs and uh, not much lower body. You're pretty much just like a set of shoulders and your long serpentine neck with your draconic head on these stilts. By the time you get up there, but it works. Yep, that's what I was going for. Like a dragon stork, if you will. <laughs> Okay, so this is, yes, you're right, it is, it's a scene of Bailey Mina. Looking at it very closely, you can see people walking the streets, and uh, the paisley front is pretty much gone. The tighter you focus your eyes, the more detail you can see. If anybody wants to make an insight check now. Yes, I do. Oh, no. Me too. My insight is a total of 22. I got five. I got seven. I feel like Ziva's wings are influencing her and she uh, just spotted a tasty bug. <laughs> well, you're a little too close to focus on anything right now, Ziva. Like you, you, you did really get a lot of lift off that first thing. You should probably figure out how to get you know, three or four feet distance between you because you barely stop yourself fanning your wings to keep from crashing into the roof. It was a little exuberant, but uh, it looked great. First time flying? Shut up! <laughs> Clearly, she's fucking terrible at it. Nari's hanging there with his wings beating like he's standing on solid ground, like he's wavering maybe three or four centimeters either way and looking up thoughtfully at the room. Well, Ziva, your bat wings are not quite so good for aerial hovering. So after you make your way down to the ground, well, you, you just kind of launch yourself up on a purple cloud and stand there to fly. I think this will be a little easier. Uh, also, uh, as I lean in and I'm, I'm right up against it and I'm, I'm touching the mural now, I'm casting Identify. Fair enough. So you cast your, like, you reach out to uh, touch the threads of this magic with your sorceress senses. You get a good long smell of it. And it smells familiar. It smells familiar, you said? Yes. Does it smell like Bailey Nina or does it smell like a caster that I know? It smells like a caster that you know. It smells like you. 
wait, what? Now, oh, you get a different look at it. You just shift your head a fractional millimeter or whatever it is. But the thomic refraction in the visible light spectrum that hits somehow some stray rogue ray of light glints off one of the edge of one of these things and you can see that what this is all this is is a story of bailey mina at three days to dead winter for all of the history of bailey mina written in your hand Arabets. Yes, sir. Having retrieved your gear and uh, left a note in Timothy's room, you amble down the hall and see Calder looking somewhat agog. Now, he's in a very strange configuration, but the look on his face is his jaws are hanging open, his, his eyes are wide, and there's like that ozone smoke leaking out of his nostrils. This is the face of a dragon agog. Hey, Stilts, you okay? Uh, <clears throat> uh, oh, hello down there. Oh, hello up there. What, what, what was that? I said, hey, Stilts, you okay? I'm really speechless, but honestly, Arabet, I, I just don't know. Ziva, Nari. Yeah? What, yes. What, what do you think this is? Because I have an idea, but... Well, I'm having trouble believing it. It uh, seems to be quite a cunning map up here. Yes, wonderful job. Whoever did this, you can't even begin to figure out the magic behind it. It's almost alive. It's quite comprehensive. Ziva, from the best of your... Like, you've done a bit of... You're floating around up there in your cloud, lying pretty much on your back with your ankles crossed. Picking out the resonances and checking the math, and it's the same faulty math that you've seen before. It's just it reverses his bilateral integers every time. This is a Calder gig. This, if you didn't know any better, well, it's a spell and a self-working spell, but self-working spells need a source of power, right? They need to be locked onto some sort of magic source, uh, a sorceress soul or a, a ley line confluence or some kind of nexus of power or, you know, given given a source of magic of life by the, by the old gods. But like all of that's been gone for a thousand years, right? Like none of that has existed. That's all legend and not even modern scientific research has come close to those old works of wonder. But this, this spell is alive? I have never seen magic. Like, this is like, this shouldn't even be. Caller, how? I swear, Ziva. I haven't the foggiest, but this just, this map just drips with my magic. Yeah, you made this. Caller, this is, 
Yes, it's a work of magic. Though it lacks any of the substance of any of the artifice, this doesn't follow any of the rules of any spells that get that you've either figured out how to like. There, there is no possible thaumatological thaumatological reason for this, right? This spell shouldn't work like this because spells are put together with harmo with harmonies and resonances, and you know, like the math all adds up and it all makes sense. It's ineffable logics, and you know, it's very quantum and metaphysical. And that's how magic works. Everybody knows this. Machines are made of components, and they all perform a function. It's like physically copying what a spell does, except you know it only does the one thing. You can't ever like once you build it, it's there, and that's all it does, right? You're stuck with it, kind of thing. There are there are advantages either way, but this this is a machine made out of spells. And what's more, it's self-powered, and none of you. Well, I mean, unless people want to start throwing more dice as to Arcana. Oh yeah. Natural twenty. Ooh, better than me. Uh, I have a total of eighteen. Plus eight for a total of twenty-eight. It looks to me like there's quintestetheric motion through the whole thing, but it's asinusoidal repenetration. I, I, this looks like it's a, a machine made of made of spells, some sort of ectorhythmic casting. That I, I don't understand what's powering this. Ziva, it's actually alive. And it's aware of you. You know this now because when you reached out with your mind to prod, to prod through the etheric resonance and uh, muck with the math a bit, maybe to smooth it out, it woke up and uh, it oh. wasn't happy about your mucking with it like that. Oh. You oh. get the feeling that that modification was uncomfortable to it because there is a presence of uh, it's a sensation. As if somebody who is unpleasantly uncomfortable, I guess all discomfort is unpleasant, but you know what I mean, right? Somebody who's just experienced a moment of displeasure and is still a little bit sore at you for it. I will immediately change it back. I'm so sorry. Are you talking to it? It is alive. I beg your pardon? It is alive. It is a living thing. It has a sentience. Hello! Why the runes? She's still lying. She's still lying on her back on the cloud and just staring wide-eyed at this. Look, I, I think I'm... Look at these lines. I think it, I thought this was ink, but I think it's actually some sort of pre-etherealized amulet. Somehow made thin enough to draw with. wonder if this entire thing is a single apocoptic magivane. It would have to be. 
I hate to interrupt this academic discussion, but Ziva, uh, you may want to prepare soon for uh, your first landing. My what? And the cloud disappears. Ugh, Nari! Granix Sports Emporium, otherwise known as Granix Palace. It's a great big arena down on Copper Penny Road. It's open to the public. He has fights every night. He has dancers up the front. He has the odd bit of drugs and a little light prostitution. Nothing too unwholesome according to him but yes he is known as a middleweight in the area he's not thrasher but then he and thrasher get along and he's a fairly sturdy part of thrasher's domain i mean Grenick keeps it all where everybody knows where it is yep there's where all the violence goes on it's not in the streets that's where this happens when if you can't afford to go to Melinda's. This is where you can buy your drugs that aren't gonna kill you because they've been stepped on eight times. And Grenick runs it all and gets rich. You are sitting in the back of a hansom, which pulls up and parks down the street because it's just not done to get out and walk right into Grenick's. Nobody does, in fact. Carriages never stop in front. And besides, Delilah's got to find somebody to act as courier. She's got a letter because she is a conscientious and thoughtful employee and wants to let Thrasher know what's going on. Very good. Hey, Shakir. Yes. You used to come down to Copper Penny Road like two or three times a year to kick somebody's ass. Um, There's a few other better places to fight and, you know that you're not likely to get killed going to and from elsewhere in the city. But you have spent more time down here in the last week than you ever thought you would in your life. Grimly, Shakir realizes, and this may be the sign of things to come. You don't even notice the smell anymore. That's what hits you most of all here in this carriage, which smells like somebody puked in it because they did. Um... Like, it's been cleaned, but not well, right? You and Delilah are both sitting on one side of the carriage. And I don't mean, like, one side. I mean one end, right? Where normally you'd sit across from each other so you could talk, you're both sitting on the same cushion because the other one's been befouled. That's the smell you notice, and when you step out, you take a deep, cleansing breath of Copper Penny Road. Delilah and her letter look for a kid she knows. That'll get it to Thrasher in good time. This is Wee Molly. She's one of the best runners in the street, and Thrasher has a soft spot for her. She's quick and expensive. A few silvers later, she dashes off with the letter. And you settle down for a bit of... Hans the Bagel guy is closed up for the day, but um, you should be able to catch Naresh, who does an excellent chicken skewer, assuming you're waiting for an answer. Delilah will give it a little bit. At least so he can stop her in the act and, you know, play savior to his 
terrible employee who deserves to die if he deems that necessary. Fifteen minutes later, you go walking across the street. Now, Greenwich has those batwing doors that flap in and out. You've seen in every saloon ever. There's a set of those big enough for an ogre to walk through on all four corners of the building. It's a great big cube of a place with an atrium in the center that's open to the sky. And that is where all of the fighting goes on. There's a roof on it that uh, otherwise shelters the rest of the building and its occupants from inclement weather. But uh, it can and occasionally does rain directly onto the ring at Greenwich's. Now, this is notable because he often has various beasts in to fight, which get lowered in through there and then hauled out through one of the bigger doors. But as you walk in through these batwing doors and push them open, you can't help but feel a little ridiculously small, both of you, in the size of this opening. Within is quiet. There's a couple of bar staff who are ticking off lists and You know, a big orcish kid with a cask of wine on his shoulder and a keg of beer under his arm. Other people going about their business, sweeping up. There's a couple of attendants from the coroner's office pulling a body out in a bag. Just the usual off-hours business at Greenwich's. You look over and there's the two stages on either side of the door. If the place was open for business, there would be... A girl, somebody dancing on one, and a boy, somebody dancing on another, or a very attractive somebody on either one of them. But since there's not, and all the lights are on, you can see the script written in Romic runes in what appears to be Orcish syntax. Does anybody here speak Orcish? No. Not I. Then it's just scroll work on the mirrors behind the stripper poles. You go walking past the front bar and drinking area and into the main arena where there are all varieties of seats that stretch up three floors to watch the festivities. Within the arena, there is two big Goliath kids boxing with each other. Granick, tall, handsome Granick. Stands there with his long white braid down the middle of his back and his handsome face clean shaven. His tusks, as mentioned, are scrimshawed and his yellow eyes are smiling as these two Goliath kids, sorry, as these two great big Irish kids lay into each other with a system of punches. Like they're fighting bare knuckled and just hitting each other in the body. And Krennic is just barking, Ah, Doc, sweep! You know, sweep, take his leg, come on! Don't just stand there and punch it out. People want to see some action. Throw him around! Come on! He sees you both walk in. Looks over. Can I help you? Went on open. I find it likely that you weren't open when you started dealing with Despard either. I don't uh, discuss my business with strangers, miss. Uh, Once again, can I help you? Cut that shit out, Grenick. You hired somebody out to kill me. Delilah smiles charmingly. You drink? Sometimes. Come on, sit down, have a drink. Let's chat. All right, you can pick the booze. 
whatever kind you want, pick it out of whatever bottle's back there. Just let's have a drink. Delilah glances over at Shakir to see how close he is to the edge of doing this man in. I suggest you calm down, buddy. It won't end well for you. Get your hand off that pommel. Let's all sit down and have a fucking drink. Shakir does have his hand on his pommel, but not in the way that it looks like he's going to gr- draw. He just kind of has the palm of it, of his hand resting there. I just like the way you stand. Yeah, just the way you're standing there. Your your balance is centered. You know what you're doing with that thing. It'll be out in my ear before I know what's happening. Take your hand off it kindly. If that was my intent, you would already be dead. This is not a place for threats, Mr. Shakir. Shakir, my name's Grenick. You're that guy who fights over at the uh, Brass Tabs. On occasion. I hear you fast. People talk. They say a lot of things. Like, you do it for no money, just to... Just for the crowd, I guess. You like the thrill of it? I could make you some money, my friend. You are no friend of mine. Not yet, maybe. Sooner or later, though, I'm everybody's friend. You'll see. Shakir will look at Delilah like, come on, let's get this over with. Uh, is there anybody doing prep work or anything behind the bar? Yeah, there's lots. There, There's probably a dozen people within streaming distance right now. Granik is not alone. While Granik and Shakir were discussing their business, Delilah uh, sort of motioned at one of them and, and asked quietly for some sort of bottle, which is produced and the liquor is clear. Yep. It's the same brand that Shakir has. And by the look of the bottle, it's only been refilled three or four times. So you tap out the signal and this kid pours you a double scotch, which looks just like it. And when you taste it, it's a bit of burn. Delilah sips politely, uh, having recent experience with that particular brand of burn and what it does to one the next morning. Excellent. 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 And you, my friend, uh, you're with her then. Are you? You are... Her partner, what are you to her? For the time being, our goals align. And for the time being, that sip guarantees both of your good behavior. Now, I'm pretty sure that neither one of you can read a civilized language, being pinkies and all, but that script on the mirrors over there just obligates you to mind your manners while you're under my roof. Bad things will happen to you. Okay. Very well. Like I, I, both of you should make a, a, a perception check right now, please. Twenty-five. Okay, so Greg looks at you with his red eyes burning, and uh, the atmosphere in here smells a lot like the sea. Suddenly, it's a little dimmer. His eyes are a little bit. Well, a hell of a lot redder than they were before, considering they were yellow a minute ago. And uh, the place smells like right down by the docks. Excellent. Now, what are we discussing? We're discussing your employee, Giggles. Uh, Yes, Giggles. I occasionally uh, find work for her now and again. She was a talented fighter in the arena who developed a bad crush habit. Too bad about Giggles. She could have been somebody. I'm afraid that point would be moot now in either case. 
Yeah, like you say, people talk. Delilah nods. Oh, I get it. I didn't see the ribbon. I'm sorry about your friend. We all lost people, though, huh? That's the business. Shakir, I need you to make a wisdom save. I'm so good at these. Uh, well, Granick is doing whatever shenanigans he's he's doing, trying to piss off the terrifying swordsman beside me. I'm going to expend two sorcery point, points for subtle spell and cast bless. Okay. So you reach over and put your hand on his knee as, uh, how, what, how did you do, Shakir? Well, um, I, I'm thinking I may need to burn like my inspiration or whatever it is that I have because uh, even with a bless, I'm betting it doesn't get out of single digits. I rolled a four. That's it. Like, fucking, we've all lost people, eh? We've all lost people, you son of a bitch. I'll fucking show you some lost people. And then, like, you like you stand up. You're, okay, this is it. Have some respect. He was a soldier. A soldier of Bailey Mania, right? You son of a bitch. So as you stand up to say something, I now need you to make a constitution save. 20. You go to say something, and your mouth fills with seawater. You spit it out right away, but like it was enough of a shock. It derailed your, I'm going to kid you. Oh, okay, wait a minute. And as soon as your anger went away, so did the seawater. Now, like I said, sit down. We understand each other now, right? Shakir will sit. He won't say anything, but he'll sit down. Very good. And then... That's dangerous, what you did there, miss. I would prefer if you didn't bring that kind of attention here anymore, okay? I'd prefer you didn't bait my friend, but clearly we can't all get what we want, can we? Well, I'm just saying that Imperial attention would be bad for both of us, and now that I have an idea what sort of person you are, well, let's just say I know something that might help the guardsmen look the other way from here. All right, so listen, sorry about that. If you want, the best I can do is uh, not charge you for drinks for a year, or I'll tell you what, I'll give you my commission of what uh, I got to hire Giggles, but I ain't giving up any names. And uh, he looks over, and there's another orc who's, you know, gesturing kind of, boss, from the side of the room. He goes, I have uh, some other business to deal with, so if you'll excuse me. It's fine. I'm sure Deathbard will be honored to know on his death that you didn't give him up, but Thrasher still might be a little pissed that you were working for him. I pay my rent. Thrasher got nothing to say. Good to know. Krennic then gets up and goes and walks over to the other orc. He goes, yeah, hello. No sooner are you through the Batwing doors than you feel the spell which bound you within peel off. It seems that Grenick has a very safe place indeed in his arena. I'm sorry, Shakira. I didn't mean to put you through that. Let's let's get out of here. This is not over, though, yes? Oh, no. It's not. We rejoin our crew... 
on the way to the Sunset Valley. Now, you've made your way out of the hedge maze around the Violet Villa, past the rows of purple hedges cut to deter entrances, out the very same entrance that Crimson and Galaglass have come in. And your entourage is fairly modest, only about 20 people besides your usual traveling companions. But as you make your way up from the summer precincts where the Violet Villa holds its court, the directions that your train follows winds through the streets of Bailey Mina and ever more uphill, these switchbacks on the west slopes, the west hills, finally the west highlands. And as you round a corner several hours later, in what you feel sure must be an entirely separate village to the city, as you haven't seen a house for, well, a while now, but no, the street signs here are City of Bailey Mina street signs, and the streetlights are City of Bailey Mina streetlights, and if that ain't a Bailey Mina watchman, you don't know what a Bailey Mina watchman looks like. And you wander from this little neighborhood dream and around a corner into a forest, which fills a valley and spills up both slopes. The road leads down into this valley where you can see the foliage turns from green to deep crimson to a lovely warm orange. This is the Sunset Valley, the domain of Lady Umber. And in the distance, nestled amidst the sunset peaks, you can see the tops of her beautiful Castle Umber. Amidst the soaring music, the scene returns to the little village. Amidst the many villages which fade in and out as you move through Bail Minach. The carriage is pulled off to the side of the road, and the doors are open for ventilation. The vaguely gnomish footfolk out front sit watching the mounts who gnaw on the verge of this local public house. No matter how much they eat of the grass, it is always there when they return to it a second later. The focus shifts to the side of the carriage. As the camera gradually zooms, we can see Arabet talking and gesturing animatedly with his hands. And as his voice comes into audible focus, we can hear him saying, I'm frustrated. I don't understand why we're going to see Umber. Well, if I'm not mistaken, she did invite us. Yeah, but this isn't a simple party. This is a negotiation. We're going to the pit of the lion. Mm-hmm. I have not considered that Arabet, and I believe I should have. Every time we leave the Violet Villa, or whatever the territory of the Violet on the contest is called, we end up in a whole bunch of trouble. Like, we always end up in trouble. This isn't good. Hmm. I'm very, very, very worried. This place makes my skin crawl. And I mean, it has made my skin crawl. 
right, Nari? Sorry, Nari. But my skin's crawled literally, and then I've taken the horns off of one lord. We've stolen the spell book of another lord. We've sent an army against another lord. We stole the army from that one lord we took its head from. I mean, we're making a lot of enemies. You're absolutely correct, Herbert. In fact, in fact, if we are successful in our plans, we'll have no allies in, in the dream whatsoever, shall we? <laughs> yeah, I'll be happy to see this place gone, but here's the question. And I've got like 25 of them, but the real ultimate point of the question is, why? Why did the Violet Bee Contest, the ragged lady herself, bring us here? Not just Nari, not just Ziva, but all of us. What, what do you mean? She, she only brought Nari here, no? Yes, but the chain of events. Jobsworth stuck around until he pissed Ziva off. It's not like Nari just went missing, uh, like some missing person in Bailey Mina streets, which would have been easier to explain if she didn't want him found. And if she didn't want him found, then why did you know, we end up finding Nari? Like, I don't understand how we ended up here. I mean, I, I understand. We repaired a mirror that was irreparable. We picked a lock that was unpickable. We communicate, communicated like Ziva did whatever magic she did to talk to Nari in this place. I'm, I'm very worried. We've been set up from the beginning. What you're proposing is an insidious scheme that would be absolutely inhuman to conceive of. Yeah, this isn't a dream. This is a nightmare. Calder looks over at Nari and Ziva and tries to see how they're feeling. You're totally right about everything. What did you say again before you said that it was a nightmare? Well, I was being histrionic about how we've been set up. We're supposed to be here for some reason that oh, none of us are aware of, I don't think. Yeah, kind of were, though. But you've been here like a super long time, too, and they must have planned for that. Or like had an idea that that was a possibility. Perhaps not bait so much as the first pebble thrown into a pond. And we set upon the many ripples later. Like, I don't know. I can't stop thinking about that thing that Zul showed me about how it was, I think, the Violet Bee Contest or like some ancestor or whatever. That was one of the elves that were horribly murdered in this purge and yet she's the only one who still somehow has a connection to the world right so is that just like they're out of you know pure vengeance and like hatred and whatever is that um you know, she has this connection, right? And like, all it's all about power. Yeah, you said it, power. 
It's all about power. So, Ziva, are, are, are you postulating that the reason we're here has to do with your family's power, in particular the way that they're able to rule in two worlds at once? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure, like, how we did that. I don't really know why it is that um, me and Nari were, like, able to, you know, when I, like, talked to him, that wasn't easy. That was, like, a huge amount of magic and a lot of spell and a lot of work. So it wasn't easy, but I did it. I don't know if I, like, should not have been able to do it. I didn't have any teachers around to tell me how wrong I was this time. This is the thing. If we go to Umber, we're playing their game. And if we're not going to play their game, then let's not play their goddamn game. All we have to do is walk, what, that way? And we get to the dead winter. Like, time is space here, and space is time for us. I think, though, what you said about, like... We made a lot of enemies. I think we need to make some friends. Yeah, but who? I think Umber could be a friend. Hey, Adam. Yeah, Sean. I'm going to roll insight on that. Sure. I rolled a one. (laughs) (laughs) Come now, Arabette. We must have some allies here. Why not Umber? Yeah. Okay, so we send a delegation to Umber. We don't send the baby in the bathwater, you know what I'm saying? Oh, oh, okay. How about you guys? I'll stay here and I'll, like, I don't know, do some stuff. And you guys can, like, scope out her place and see, like, what is she missing? What does she need? What does she want? Yeah, if you stayed here, we could maybe have a parlay and neutral ground right oh yeah tell her i'll like meet her i don't know at the boundary of the two kingdoms or yeah but there isn't a boundary between umber and violet what about in our um our little uh tent out there oh well all she can do is say no okay she can do significantly more than say no, and I'm not sure we should realistically consider being allies with any fey lord that Ziva hasn't married, given the circumstances. I don't know. I think we have to. I think we got to make some friends. I have to say, Ziva, Nari has been here an awful long time. And he didn't say we can't make friends. He said that he would not recommend any of the Fey Lords be such friends. Okay, well, maybe somebody in her house. She has retainers and, like, servants and stuff, right? Bound by many oaths. Ugh, now you're just being negative. Yeah, but he's not right. wrong. He's... Tell me. Tell me, Nari, why don't you want to be a friend of Galoglass? You know, when he says, why don't you want to be a friend of Galloglass? There's this thing when you and he were having grand adventures, ha ha ha, and it was awesome. 
and you'd sit there and uh, you know you'd always be like standing side by side watching the villains run away into the sunset right as you laughed and had your grand and rollicking adventures and he'd put his he'd slap you on the back and put his hand on your shoulder with his other with his thumb on your other shoulder right he just like had your whole neck in his hand and his big fucking ogreish palm heavy on the back of your neck and uh when he says why don't you want to be friends with Galglass?" you get that feeling all across your upper back and neck and uh like the feeling of his thumb just occupying the whole space behind your fucking ear and it makes you cringe visibly arabets when uh you say why don't you want to be friends with Galloglass, before he says anything there's an involuntary twinge on nari which looks as though somebody has just put a large hand on his back oh i see oh i'm sorry okay so how about this so we how don't about... yeah i was Go gonna ahead. say we don't like we don't necessarily make friends or we don't necessarily make an ally but we just go in there and be like, look, you're not going to be our choice, but can you not, like, be terrible about it? I don't know. Maybe we'll give you some stuff in return for, like, not being the worst? I, I believe, and my advice is suspect at this point, for I did not see what Arabet has has shown us, but I believe we should not be quite so forward with showing our hand, but we could ask what it is that she desires. And we could do it via entourage ourselves. And we could perhaps give her a small gift as well as a token of goodwill. Oh, I have something, actually. What do you have? Uh, it's my old phone. Um, obviously, like it doesn't work here. You don't get any reception or anything. But I have it all set up so that uh, she could take selfies. Intriguing. Hey, it's better than Crimson's hunting knife that he gifted to Ziva. Hopefully is. Ugh, that guy was so creepy. I also had an idea, but but perhaps we could talk about it later. Um, it, it would involve a bit of work by, by both of us. Um, Erebet, do you think an entourage to ascertain what she desires would be appropriate? Yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah. You could tell her, like, I want to give her a nice gift or something, so we have to know what she wants. I, I was more thinking... What or whatever, it, whatever. You do your thing. ...that she desires from, from the nuptial union of, of the two houses. Well, I guess that would make more sense, right? Okay. Would it be the three of us, then? I'll go if that's what you desire. You are pretty smart, Arvid, and you've always got my back. I I wonder if it... I find myself a bit somewhat shaken by having not seen the grand scheme that, that you've revealed, but my sense is that we should send everyone that we can spare, and that would be the three of us and leaving Ziba back at uh, the villa. Yeah, I'll be fine. Sounds good to me. Nari? Well, suppose it's as good a plan as any. 
All right, then. I propose that Nari is the head of the entourage, as uh, he is a relation to Zivan. Uh, we shall be his retinue, and um, we shall need to have Nari parley with her to uh, inquire as to what her what she seeks. And we should prepare an appropriate gift, yes? I just want to remind you, the ball is, what, three days that way? We could just go to the ball. Fair enough. Do you think to ignore her invitation would be a slight that it would be recoverable from? Do you think that Ziva saying no to her and not marrying her is a slight that she can recover from? Fair point. I'm just saying. We start marching three days that way. Well, we've got this nice carriage. We'll get there that much faster, too. And we're at the ball. I mean, if we know what we're going to do. If we, do you really think I, my trouble is we are mortals. What do we have to offer really in the long scheme of things to a failure who has eternity to scheme? They don't obey any of the laws. They have rules. I believe you've just given me an idea of something to offer. If uh, we do want to bring uh, Umber onto our side. What do immortals need or seek from us mortals? Simple. Diversion and entertainment. Well, yeah. Schemes themselves. If we could find out perhaps which of the other houses Umber is scheming against. Oh, get some dirt on them for her. Yeah. I take your meaning, Nari, but I, Arabet, am, am I correct in understanding that you're suggesting not not just that we march towards the ball, but that we stop playing the game, and that because this game is one that we're doomed to lose? Yeah, I think we're out of our league here. This is just not our game. It's like a dice guy playing dragon chess. And so, the quicker we can get to the last move. The sooner we arrive in Tallwater. Ew, Tallwater? Why are we through there? Well, I was just mean it's far away. Oh. Far away from the shit, that is. Okay. I don't know. I just, I think this is uh, an opportunity to learn some stuff, and we don't know stuff. And uh, maybe we could at least, maybe we could at least come out of this learning something, you know? I appreciate your optimism, but I must say, I, I take Arabette's point, and I, I think that perhaps there's nothing more for us to be gained in this game than escaping it. We are not of this world, and we must wake up. I guess. I don't know, I'm just kind of angry about all of this, and I kind of want to stick it to somebody. Oh, we will. We'll stick it to them at the ball. Like, there's going to be a whole bunch of Faelords that aren't going to get chosen. I know, but look, you know what? The if biggest we problem we have is finding Timothy right now. At this point, where is Timothy? You know, he's he's okay. he's supposed to be researching a way out of here because he's the only one who's been able to flip dreams and move around. Okay, okay, okay. Tell you what. You guys... 
go on this trip, entertain them, whatever, whatever. I will look into Timothy and I will start hunting him down while you guys are gone. Adam, I, uh, Calder has an idea. It seems like a big one, though, so I'd like to make an Arcana check. By all means. 17 plus 6 for 23. Uh, Estimable, what do you need to know? So, just listening to what Arabet just said. Timothy has the ability now to walk any when and anywhere he wants to, it, it seems. So it seems, yes. So, I mean, the only time in, in finding us at any particular time or place would be relatively challenging, especially together. But he knows we're all going to be together at the ball. Yep. Ziva, what if Timothy is on his way right now to meet us at the ball? I, I say that because he knows that we all must be there. Then he won't have to search through any time or any place to reunite with us. The, the more I think of it, the, the more I go there a bit. I think it's simply time to to go to the bowl. Oh, let's go kick some asses. Like, really, we have three days to plan what the ball's going to look like. What do you want to do, Ziva? I mean... You want to back out of a portal somewhere with your fingers up? You want to... I don't care. You you name it, we'll make it happen. Let's get the hell out of here. Um. Obviously, I want to get the hell out of here. Obviously, I want to do that. I just, you know, want to make sure we're doing it right. And uh, that we can actually leave. You know, when you're not having one of those dreams where you think, like, you wake up, and then you... But you're still dreaming. Anyway. What do I want to do? Well, I kind of had a thought. And it has to do a little bit with how they messed with us to begin with. Do you mean by stealing Nari or something else? Stealing Nari and replacing him. Oh, I like this. When the scene reopens, we are at the Violet Villa. The estimable hedge maze around the place is indeed a formidable defense, but from where you stand out in the West Lawn outside of the gazebo, Nari, you can see that the forces of Crimson are marching back out of the Cutesley Wood. Turning around to the other side, you can see the blue companies arrayed in all their finery digging in their cannon blue and red united against violet who'd have thought but so it goes those members of the magenta militia who didn't desert their posts cling nervously to their weapons in the defense which are suddenly a hell of a lot closer to the house than you remember them being since you turned them around. Blue and red versus violet, that's... it's more deliciously ironic than you ever would have thought. As you turn to go back into the tent, which isn't far away, an arrow smashes into the ground. 
uh, five to seven yards away from you. Not enough that it was a threat, but enough that you couldn't miss it. The shaft of the arrow along with the fletching is red, and uh, as the arrow quivers out its final kinetic motion, you see that the arrowhead has already set roots into the violet soil and is purpling up the shaft towards a node which has been bound around it. By the time you get there, it is a purple thorny shrub where the arrow used to be. They'll have to get the gardeners to move it. It's unsightly. The note says Arabets. You know, as soon as I see the uh, the name on it, I'll uh, hunt down Arabet and read it to him. So you walk back into the gazebo with all the flowing, silky mosquito nets, which also block sound and all eavesdropping and are a, a wonder of artifice and magic in tandem. Arabet is frying up some eggs. Always good to get a good start in the morning, eh, Bet? You betcha. Especially with those nice antlers hanging over top of the stove. And what a good job you did of preserving them. Before you got here this morning, like you stopped in yesterday for a couple of weeks to really get them right, you know? You only had the two days to work on it. Thankfully, you could spend as long in those two days as you wanted. You got here this morning. The others have been here for, well, you don't know. It is only one day after all, right? And they don't seem to have been here much longer than you. Although, to be honest, although he is visibly and demonstrably still a machine, has gone from moving like a machine to more like an organic being. And uh, it's interesting because when he shifts into his half-elven form, the transformation is at first mechanical and then it becomes organic. At the end, he just kind of turns into the half-elf again. You wouldn't be able to tell. Dreaming. Oogie-boogie shit. But still. Here comes Nari with a piece of paper open that he's reading. Eggs over easy, Nari? No, no, thank you. I've, uh... I've received a note. I think you'll want to... To hear. Oh, well, go ahead. Dear Arabet, well played. However, it is fortunate that you decided to avenge yourself against my man, Frumius Doyle, to sweeten the bargain and satisfy both of our honors, should you manage to defeat Doyle, then I will consider the debt forgiven. Should Doyle manage to defeat you, however, well, I'll still consider it settled. But I don't expect you'll be pursuing it any further. Regards, Crimson. Well, seems I'm fighting for a lot of honor. Well, the eggs are ready, and so are the potatoes, Arabet. Breakfast is served. Anyone hungry? 
It's been a while since you've needed to eat, Calder, but you like being there when they do it. You miss it, actually. The taste of food is the largest drawback of being mechanical. Uh, none for me, please, but uh, perhaps a cup of tea? I say, knowing that it's quite easy to nurse a cup of tea with not drinking any. Tea it is. And a few of the pixies pour it to perfection before they zip off out into the yard as they pass the confines of the gazebo. Their faces become visibly vapid and they just flit about like little sparrows. But whenever a pixie is needed to perform some function like that, one just zips in, does it, and then goes back to its brainless flitting about. It's uh, amusingly convenient. So... Nari, do you think you'll keep the, the word if I defeat Doyle and he'll leave me alone? I don't believe that was the wording he used. No, no, you're right. These fey people, they're really particular about the words. Hmm. He's considered the debt settled, he said, right? Yes. Yes, that's what it says here. What, uh, what sort of trade... Uh, have you been engaging in? Oh, you know. And Arabet points over his shoulder at the, the rack on that wall. And it is a great spreading rack of crimson antlers, such as might currently be found upon the helmed brow of Count Crimson, who once again settles into his siege camp out on the Violet Lawn. Runelanders was recorded live and curated by DM Mad Adam. All of the usual people played all of the usual roles, and you can find out more about who they are, who their characters are, and all the little Easter eggs that I scatter through these episodes at runelanders.com. Like what you hear? Tell your friends. If you don't, let us know why. Find us on Twitter at CastTheRunes. Send an email to runelanders at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook at Runelanders. Next time on Runelanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We're back in two weeks. We'll see you then. I'm DM Mad Adam. And I am DM Good Guy, reminding you to roll high and don't die. Till next time, take good care. <laughs>